Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good afternoon, and thank you, everybody, for joining us today. My name is Mark Lowry. I work for Alias CNC, and we are lead managers of the RCB program, formerly known as Retail Charity Bonds. I will be taking you through an overview of the program and then be handing over to Marilyn Davis, the financial director of Golden Lane Housing, specialist housing provider, who will be looking at the program from an issuer's perspective. Uh, We'll also be hearing from Mark Elliott, who is a portfolio manager at SRI Investors Castlefield. So he will be looking at it from uh, an, an investor perspective. So without further ado, let's just go to the first slide, which is, I'm afraid, a disclaimer, as it always is in financial services nowadays. Uh, we are lead managers, and our role is to, to bring new issues to market. So please be aware, this is not investment advice. I am not an investment advisor, and I'm certainly not your investment advisor. So if you are thinking of engaging in the program, uh, please do your own research or, or consult a, a suitably qualified professional. So let's uh, let's sort of move on to the next side, which is what is RCB? What does it do? So RCB basically helps charities to borrow money. When I was first introduced to this concept, I was a little bit puzzled by it. I thought, well, why would a charity wish to borrow money? Of course, the more you think about it, the, the more natural it is. Many charities are large organizations and they have um, a considerable amount of assets which they need to, to to do their good work so the most obvious example is perhaps a housing association which has uh, many millions of pounds in some cases larger than many billions of pounds of housing and they fund this housing both existing and, and, and new housing through the use of borrowing but it doesn't stop there there's all sorts of other organizations that might utilize borrowing maybe a hospital trust or or even an air ambulance might might lease its helicopter uh, from a from a leasing company, so so debt can be used quite constructively in order to help fund the assets that the charity needs to do its work. Now, traditionally, the charities would have gone to banks to raise that funding, and that door is certainly still open. Uh, but when banks lend, they tend to lend a bit shorter. Um, sometimes it's on on floating rates and. It will generally be secured, and it may have some constraints around the the lending, and that can be difficult or suboptimal for the for the charity to comply with. So, what we wanted to do was to to start a program that will enable charities to borrow perhaps from slightly longer term, uh, but also on a more flexible flexible basis, particularly on an unsecured basis, that would be more helpful for them to to further their work. So we set up RCB, and the objective of RCB was to, to issue bonds on the London Stock Exchange. These bonds would be tradable, they'd be open to private investors and institutional investors, and there would also be a, you know, a secondary market in them. The, the initial thought was that it would be targeted towards private investors, but actually as the program grew, we had more and more institutional investors come into the program, but more of that later. How does it work? Well, RCB is what we call a special purpose vehicle. It exists solely to issue the bonds and service that debt. So when a charity comes to RCB, RCB will issue the bond onto the London Stock Exchange. The proceeds, the money raised from the sale of those bonds, will be passed to the charity. Now, each bond 
is secured against each loan so there can be no cross-contamination between the charities. So if one charity encounters some difficulty, it will not affect a loan to the, to the other charities. Now, RCB is, has an independent board, more of that in a minute. Um, we wouldn't lend to, to everybody, and some people are turned down. Sadly, when people come to RCB looking to borrow money, the board will be looking for uh, an organization with strong social benefit, clearly, a sustainable business model. We need it to be here tomorrow and next year and the year after that and the year after that. And most of all, we'll be, be looking for, for motivated, high-quality uh, management. Uh, the board will review these factors. Uh, it is supported by third-party uh, credit analysis. Typically, the bonds are of seven to ten year maturity. The coupons have ranged between 3.9% and 5% to date. That will vary depending on market conditions. And they have all been unsecured loans on a look-through basis. But investors may be interested to know that there is a 1.3 times unencumbered asset test in there. In other words, there has to be some unencumbered assets behind the loan uh, to give comfort to those, those investors. This is the board of retail charity bonds. And I won't go through every single name because we're a little bit limited on time, but it's a good cross representation of people from both finance and the charity section and people drawn from banking as well. So I think people with a lot of experience there, they can make some good judgments as to what charities should and should not be on the RCB platform. And moving on to external opinion, investors, as well as the credit worthiness, are also concerned about the social benefit and how this can be confirmed. And one of the things we've done is reach out to S&P, who have assessed the sustainability bond framework of the program. So that means that the use of proceeds are going towards demonstrably socially good causes. If you want to read more about that, it is available to download on the S&P website. So three things to tell you. First, we're going to look at the timeline of the program. Then we're going to look at some of the issuers. Don't have an awful lot of time, although we'll be hearing more in depth from Marilyn about particularly Golden Lane in a, in a few minutes. And we'll also have a quick look at the type of investors that get involved in the program, which I, I think is interesting, gives you a, bit, a little bit of an idea of, of who uses these assets and maybe how they are used. So moving on to timeline. We started in 2014. The very first bond was for Golden Lane, who's joining us today. And they borrowed about 10 million pounds, relative 11 million pounds, I think it was, memory service means. It's one of the smaller deals on the platform. Over the years, we've gradually sort of crept that up, and the individual bond sizes have grown to between 10 and 50 million as a combination of new issues or subsequent sales of retained bonds. And in total, it's grown to 377 million of issuance. Of that 377 million, Around 80 million are held in retained or treasury bonds. So those are bonds that have yet to be deployed into the market, which means in terms of perhaps as an equity person might say a free float, there's around 300 million of retail charity bonds trading on the London Stock Exchange. And when you see the chart on the right-hand side there of how the outstanding volume has grown over the years. These are the individual bond issues, starting with Golden Lane in 2014. And move through to, funny enough, last one we did, 
and subsequent issue for Golden Lane. In the meanwhile, we've done deals for a, for a variety of names, but what perhaps is interesting is just to look at the sort of the granularity of it. You will see that we generally do one to two new charity bonds a, a year. So it is, a, it is a kind of serial issuance program, which is very useful for some of the larger institutional investors. They know they can continue to put their money to work in the program as time goes on. So what sort of people might utilize retail charity bonds. We don't have time to go through all the issues, but I've broken them down into three categories. So the first category is housing associations. Um, many of you will be very familiar with housing associations. They provide a considerable amount of the housing in this country, particularly social housing. And some of the perhaps the smaller, more specialized HAs can utilize the retail charity bond platform, particularly when they want to borrow unsecured. And that's very useful for HAs because that money can be used very quickly and directly for development to build new houses. One example is Hightown, Hertfordshire-based housing association, sort of medium size. It's growing all the time, nearly 8,000 uh, units there. And Hightown have a target of building 500 new homes a year. And of course, you know, we're all, everybody wants more housing. And uh, last year, in fact, they built 600 units. They did very well. They beat their own target. And they continue to 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 um to grow every year the on the right we have dolphin living quite different very specialized ha here which operates in the westminster area with a particular mandate to provide housing for workers in the westminster area when they say that they mean westminster area and commutable so it's very nice uh, housing in fact i went to visit one of their new units in fulham a couple of years ago uh, just off the North End Road, uh, quite close to where I, I lived, and uh, you know, very very good it was too. Again, they're using the money raised to to help build new houses, and they've targeted building 200 new units by 2024, two years to go. Okay, the next sector. Yeah, this is something which is our society has a growing need for, for sure. There is a really a shortage of care beds, and we need more beds, and we need good quality care providers and the charitable sector really does fit in quite well here we've done a couple of raises in the sector one is for green sleeves which used to be part of the old woman's volunteer reserve service which some of you may remember the, the queen served in during the, the second world war it was spun off as a, a standalone care charity in 1997 now has 20 care homes uh, they've they've used the charity bond program twice to, to raise new money, which they're using to build new care homes. They now have 20 in total. They provide very high quality of care. And indeed, I think last year, won uh, the Best Charity Care Organization Award from Which Magazine, which is a you know, trusted consumer um, uh, poll organization. Moving on from there, we have Belong, who operate in the Midlands and the, the North. They are dementia specialists, and they build what they call the Belong Village model, specifically to help um, residents with those specific problems uh, and they are very good they have a range of accommodation for instance sometimes you have a couple where you have one dementia suffer and one not and you can buy or rent a flat in the units and care is provided really super business model uh, and really helping to deal with that very difficult problem that many of us have faced the next category which rather unimaginatively is called other um, charities do all sorts of things and suitable ones can use the RCB platform. A couple of years ago, we did a raise for the Annick Garden Trust, which runs some beautiful ornamental gardens up in the northeast. And I will be lucky enough to go and visit them on a on a site visit in two days' time. They're building a new 
children's facility up there and the the, the money raised from that for that bond issue is, is, is used for the construction of of that in addition to it being a very very popular uh, attraction in the area and find a lot of employment as, as well it, uh, they have an excellent community outreach program they work with the unemployed they work with children they work with with, with veterans and also elderly with you know gardening programs and so on i'm looking forward to seeing some of that and last but not least CAF, which many of you may know one of the, the uk's largest charity is actually a financial service provider they enable giving and on a giving on a tax efficient basis through the givers you earn scheme they also operate a bank which provides specialist lending to charities and indeed is also very used for handling deposits it's got a big piece of the charitable infrastructure there which we were able to help in fact we've done two issues for CAF over the years now the next slide will be of interest to those who are following the bonds in the secondary market we bring the bonds to market at par, so they pay their coupons to believe between 3.9 and 5%. You enjoy the coupon while the bonds are outstanding and on maturity, they'll be redeemed at par. In the meanwhile, the price will go up and down depending on market supply and demand, interest rate, sentiment, um, and so on. They tend to gravitate around the par price point, but they can move. And in terms of, of volatile market times, they can move quite, quite swiftly. Generally, the bonds have attracted a post-launch premiums they traded on the whole above par i think they've all traded above par at some point at the moment with interest rates pushing up we're seeing some of the bonds slip back a little bit and we've got some mid prices there and you'll notice some of those bonds just slipping back a little bit below the par price point with yields generally sitting in the three and a bit to maybe the four and a bit yield area those of you who follow spreads i relative pricing to government bonds we see spreads sit in the 200 to 300 basis points over gilts last but certainly not least the most important part the investors what sort of people might buy these bonds so we've got a pie chart the left hand one shows the number of investors sheer number of investors and the right hand one shows the volume of money on the left you will see that retail or private investors actually make up the largest number of investors but as time has moved on and bond funds have got bigger and there's probably more bond funds as well we have seen more money come in from those institutional investors so now the largest chunks of money are coming in from things like ethical bond funds and pension funds and indeed i think the last placement we did was around 60 percent institutional investors into the program however they are still very much open to private investors here is a few names and logos of some of the institutional investors that have invested in the program if you look into their reports you'll see some of these bonds uh, in their holdings there's some familiar names there so columbia threadneedle and royal london and bathbones and edentree all good fund managers and of course we'll be hearing from mark elliott at castlefield in a few minutes time which takes us on to the last slide, and that is retail distributors. If you are a private investor, we wouldn't deal with you directly, but at the point of issue, we would reach out to a lot of these well-known investment platforms like Hargreaves, AJ, and Interactive, and offer the bonds to them, and they can offer them to their customer base. That's a popular method of engaging with the program. Typically, private investors can, can buy the bonds without commission, and buy them at par at issue point and many people just hold them until maturity but they are tradable um you can you can sell them if you, if you, if you need to for some reason uh, or indeed you can buy more if you have more money to invest and i believe all of these brokers will, will will offer a secondary market price as well so you can either log on or, or speak to them and, and you can see 
and access the prices trading on the London Stock Exchange. So that's it from me in terms of an overview of the program. I am now going to hand over to Marilyn Davis at Golden Lane Housing, who has used the program from a, a, an issuer's perspective, and uh, will be able to say a little bit more from the, the way she sees it. So, so thank you all. Thank you, Mark, and good afternoon. So my name is Marilyn Davis. I am GLH Finance Director, and I've been working for GLH for the last 17 years. My presentation today is there to illustrate the impact that the funds raised through the RCB platform have had on organization and also on so many people with a learning disability and or autism. I believe that Golden Lane Housing has a unique investor offer. GLH has a stable financial footing with a reliable income source from rents paid by housing benefit directly to Golden Lane Housing. GLH has steadily grown its property portfolio and its income and has generated surpluses year on year, which demonstrate good cost control. The organization was set up in 1998 and has got over 20 years track record of paying back loans. As of March 21, which is the last financial year, uh, we had £119 million worth of assets of uh, good quality housing across the country. We are a reputable housing association with fantastic partnerships with care providers and developers across the sector. And following our latest in-depth assessment by our regulator, we have received G1 V1 rating, which is a top rating in February 22. But most importantly, we are here to deliver housing with a real social impact. So this slide lists the various issues done through the RCB platform by GLH. We were the first issuer, as Mark said, in 2014, and have recently issued £11 million through a new bond in July 21, and retained £4 million in bonds to be issued at a later date. We also have traditional lending through banks, but there is a great advantage to the RCB bonds, as they can finance the entirety of the project, the purchase, the development, and the adaptations whereas bank can only finance up to 80% of the purchase. To date, uh, through the RCB, we have purchased close to 90 properties, which are homes for over 250 people. So this is the Ivy in Isingwold, and it was the first property bought with the proceeds from the 2014 bonds. From an external view, it is an ordinary house in an ordinary street. So this next property is New Road in Peterborough, and it demonstrates that the quality of accommodation provided by GLH will bring a wide range of benefit to our tenants, to their family, and to social services, care providers, and the public purse. I will talk about this on another slide later on. Our approach has always been to involve families uh, when sourcing a property to ensure that they have peace of mind and that they can see their loved ones live in an appropriate housing um, and that care and support are delivered. So those two properties um, illustrate that we are able to deliver bespoke property for people with a complex needs who otherwise would be placed in residential and hospital inpatient settings. Uh, with uh, the fully accessible property and there as well with an adapted bath. So we tend to allow additional space and building adaptation in our properties to ensure that our residents can have a sustainable tenancies that cater for their long-term needs. 
Although the properties are tailored to meet the need of our current tenants, the adaptations are wide ranging to ensure that the home will meet the needs of a wider group of people so that when vacancies arises, the property will remain sustainable in the long term. So our investment creates immense positive impact on the quality of life and well-being of our tenants by creating homes in the community, often near their family and friends. This allows our tenants to have a greater involvement in the community and better health and social life. Richardson's care settings and hospital admissions would not have allowed our tenants to have the tenancy rights and the independence that is achieved through the supporting model. On this slide, you can see Isabel and Bob, uh, both in their 70s, who were delighted when their sons, Brian and Warren, recently moved into a GLH property. Prior to the move, Brian had lived in a nursing home 33 miles away from the family home since 1994, and Warren had lived at home with Isabel and Bob. They had campaigned for more suitable and independent living arrangements for their sons for over 20 years, and this move um, has given them peace of mind for the future. Isabel explained that their sons would never be able to look after themselves and that this type of supported independent living is more than they would have ever dreamt of for them. They can see their sons whenever they want, just for five minutes or for a couple of hours at a time um, when they want, and they do not have to make appointments or stick to visiting times. Our approach as an organization is always to ensure that the funds uh, have maximum impact on the tenants and allow them to live as independently as possible. Mencap and Housing Lean published a report in 2018 which established that the cost of housing in specialized supported housing, the type of housing that GLH provide, including service charges, was on average £230 per week per person for share accommodation. If we add the cost of care provided by a care provider, the total cost for supported housing amounts to £1,570 per person per week. And this compares favourably for the public purse with residential care as an average of £1,700 and £3,500 for hospital inpatient. So this last slide from me is an extract from our social impact report. We publish them every year and this one was published in July 21, which highlight the key achievements for the year ended March 21. We have invested 6.3 uh, million uh, from the capital programme to create 48 new tenancies. And the total tenancy created was 191, so the balance delivered was done through leases. 100% of our homes meet the decent home standard and 97% of the tenants are satisfied with the repair services provided by our repair teams. Our tenants are at the centre of everything we do. In 2021, we raised 67 safeguarding alerts across 25 local authorities by GLH staff during visits and they were subsequently resolved, which showed the impact that GLH has on ensuring that the homes we provide are safe environment for our tenants. And this is it from me. So I will pass on now to Mark Elliott uh, from an investor perspective uh, from Castlefield. Thanks, Marilyn. And indeed, thanks, Mark. As mentioned at the outset, I'm, I'm Mark Elliott. I'm an investment manager and partner at Castlefield Investments. On the next slide, there's just a bit of background about who we are and what we do. We're very much an investment manager with ESG at the heart of investing. Grown since we first started our business and now have well over 60 
co-owners, as we call them, because we're actually an employee-owned business. So the employees within the firm own the majority of all the shares within the business. And as I say, we're just coming up to celebrating our 20th anniversary, so two decades in business now, starting from literally um, three of us at the outset. So it's, it's been a, quite a journey for us and taking our clients with us. So over that time, the assets that we manage have grown substantially. And I think that really talks to the point that the ESG and values-driven investing has really come to the fore. And that's really cemented the approach that we have for clients and resulted in that growth in assets, which we manage for individuals, so private clients, as we call them, charities, and some pension schemes, as well as having the majority of the shares owned by the employees right from the inception uh, we also actually had a charitable institution in a state within the business as well, which they, they still do to this day. On the next slide, there's just a bit of a more context around that and the history of our group, which I think is pretty key to understanding what we do for clients today and why investments like retail charity bonds really align with their values. So I guess the key line on this is probably the orange one, which is our own history. So Castlefield since our inception 20 years ago. A couple of lines that predate that are actually a couple of advice businesses which we acquired over the years. The first one back in 2011, in fact, and the second one, 2014. From the early days where we were purely an investment manager, adding in those ethical advice businesses has really brought a client bank of, of mostly individuals, whereas the core client base originally was charities and pension schemes. And it's really scaled up the group. So we, we really have a far uh, more wide reaching. ESG-focused client base. And we formed the group structure, eventually rebranding those businesses as CAP, which is the green line there. And lastly, one of the more recent developments is actually forming a funds administration or trustee business, what we call an ACD business. So we actually run a range of funds as well as what we call segregated accounts, so individual accounts for, for individual savers or investors. Um, so that means that we're now a vertically integrated investment management group, bringing advice, the investment management and, and the fund oversight. Uh, and that's really critical for retail charity bonds uh, where they sit within our group, because it's, it's really vital that we provide consistent investment outcomes for all those types of clients, whether we're uh, managing a segregated pot of investments for an individual or for that matter, whether we're investing or managing a collective investment fund for some of the same investors, whether it's an individual or a charity or a pension scheme for that matter. On the next slide, there's, there's just a bit more granular breakdown about the types of investments that we run. So it's worth stressing that we're really a multi-asset investment house. So we manage equities and fixed income directly, as well as managing a range of collective investment funds. And fixed income is a really important part of that. So the consistency with which we manage the investments is, is really critical. Consistency of approach is actually really central to things like our, our UN PRI signatory status. You, some of you may have come across that. So the United Nations administer a principles of a responsible investment. And that really sets out how investment managers approach their investments across the range of asset classes that they do manage. And then also we're, we're signatories to the stewardship code as well. And on to the next slide, that, that kind of leads into the background of, uh, I'm sure some of you will have seen slides and presentations like this, but the approach that we have for managing investments, we do have the expertise to do a huge amount of this in-house. So we look at every investment, looking at the business fundamentals. So it's an important point to make that we are 
uh, investment managers, not just impact investors, we're looking for a financial return on behalf of our clients. So we, it is really vital that we do look at the, the business case for any entity that we invest in. And then we do look in depth at the, the environmental, the social and, and the transparency or, or government's attributes of those investments as well. And as ESG investing has really developed over the years, I think it's probably fair to say in the early years, more of the focus was on the, the E bit, the environmental bit. And sometimes the social aspects of it did get overlooked and retail charity bonds are a really powerful way to uh, delve into that aspect of ESG investing and, and the um, different attributes that the different retail charity bonds bring, bring to our clients' investment portfolios is really key in giving them a solid footing in the social aspects of investing across their portfolios. I suppose for us as a business and ultimately our, our clients, the attractions of RCBs, as Mark in part slighted upon before, is the exposure to the different businesses within the platform offering. And unlike our equity investments, where clearly we, we engage with management teams with a view to voting at AGMs, we clearly can't do that with our bond investments. And, and so we need to be really aligned with the businesses and their values from the outset. And the RCB platform is really an ideal way to bring client portfolios into alignment with the types of entities that come to market through the, the retail charity bond platform. Uh, I guess the other key differentiators, uh, again, are that commonality of approach. So similar to other uh, orb listed bonds, the, the retail denominations are attractive, so we can invest in these bonds directly in segregated client accounts rather than just having to have an investment in a, a pooled collective fund. And that provides clients with a direct, direct link to some of those investments within their portfolio. And Alia does also bring the, um, as Mark said, a kind of high level vetting of potential issuers to, to the universe of entities that do contact them as well. And, and through that, we can ensure that some of those entities are right for the platform, not just in terms of the values that they uh, uh, exhibit, but also in terms of some of the underlying sustainable uh, practices as well. That means they're going to be uh, around for our clients and for us into the future. So that was a fairly high level run through of uh, a bit about what we do as a business and why some of our clients do particularly see the attractions of these retail charity bonds. Uh, and with that, I think we're ready to hand over for some questions. And the first question we have is, do the bonds have a credit rating? The answer is no, they do not. So I think investors need to do their own credit analysis and be comfortable with the credit that they are uh, in investing uh, in. The, <clears throat> the only thing I would say is that uh, we did do a couple of issues for Hightown Housing Association and subsequent to the issue, the Hightown itself was was given a, a single A minus credit rating. So, so occasionally one can look through and, and, and get a credit metric that way. But on the whole, no, they are not rated and most of them are quite small organisations that probably wouldn't, would, would not seek a credit uh, rating um, or, or indeed be awarded one. Thank you. And have there been any defaults or incidents to date? No, there have, have not. We've been running since 2014 and um, all the borrowers have, have, have been very orderly. Thank you. And what's the liquidity like? Is it difficult to deal in the secondary market and how do you go about it? They, they were designed as private investor um, 
securities. So the, the liquidity kind of works around that. There are three market makers active on the London Stock Exchange, Winter Floods, uh, Peel Hunt and, and Canaccord. And uh, most of those people are making prices in, in sort of 25, up to £25,000 a side. So if you're a private investor, it's relatively easy to buy or sell five or 10 or, or 20 20,000. Uh, in larger sizes, because they're relatively small bonds, that, that there may be a process of negotiation, uh, but they do trade and uh, we, we, we trade larger blocks reasonably regularly. There, there is secondary, uh, secondary interest in, in, in the market. Thank you. And um, do the majority of investors commit for the whole term? They get in at the beginning and then they commit for the whole term. Or is it more common to get in part way through? We, we don't always know exact investor behaviour. If, if it's an um, institution who we have an ongoing relationship with, we can pretty much monitor that. And they, institutions tend to hold to maturity and often quite buy more as they as they go, as their funds um, go up. The, the private investors, it's harder for us to track because we distribute through to the platform and the platform then has multiple customers. Uh, the observed behavior is that um, many hold to maturity, but quite a few will buy a new issue and tend to take profits as and when they occur. They may then come back into, into, other, uh, into other bonds so that the private investors may be a little bit more mobile in some ways. Thank you. And they'll take profits because it's trading above par. Yes, that, that's quite um, common private investor behaviour. Thank you. And with interest rates going up, how do you think that's going to affect the bonds going forward? Does that mean that new issue bonds will have a higher um, yield or is anything on the existing yields? I presume that's not going to change. Well, uh, there's two, two questions in there. Interest rates, as you say, are, are going up. So it will tend to mean that future bonds will perhaps have a higher coupon, but that will vary from issuer to issuer. Uh, some, some issues trade tighter than others. But, but yes, all things being equal, it will tend to give an upward movement on, on coupons. The second question is about the, um, uh, what happens to the existing bonds. So when the bonds are issued, they're issued with a, with a fixed coupon and that might be paying or some of them are paying three and a half, four, four and a half percent, those sort of sort of numbers. And um, with interest rates going up, we're seeing uh, some of those secondary market prices fall. Uh, so the bond still pays the same coupon, but you would be able to buy it at a um, slightly cheaper price in, in the market. So it will, will also impact the, the price of secondary uh, market bonds. Tremendous. Thanks very much, Mark. And that's the end of questions. Do you have any closing remarks? Really, just thank you very much uh, for, for joining us and hearing more about the RCB programme. Uh, we have a, a website. If you just uh, type in RCB bonds into your search engine, uh, that will pull it up. It will tell you more about the programme, more about the individual bonds, and you can download all the documentation there, including the annual uh, social uh, reports which which tell you about what the charity's been been, been doing over the last uh, year. Uh, feel free to to get in touch with us, and uh, we hope to see you again on perhaps another update, or, or or maybe as and when we bring a new issue to the market. And thank you all for joining us. Thank you, of course, Marilyn, and thank you, Mark.
PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.